Joining me now is Dr. Anok Singh Tillong, who is currently completing his final year of residency in family practice at UBC. He graduated with a bachelor's degree in interdisciplinary studies focusing on Asian history, and he did write an op-ed that was published in the Toronto Star in 2018 explaining the relevance of Khalistan to Sikh Canadians. And that's why we're talking to him here today on CKNW. I wanted to kind of get that 2023 perspective of explaining the relevance of Khalistan to Canadians in general. And I wanted to start off with that 2018 op-ed that you did write. At the time, I know Justin Trudeau had just made his visit to India. What spurred you to really write that op-ed? What I saw with Justin Trudeau with his visit to India was that Khalistan as a topic was becoming a national talking point. And it was taking a big highlight stage, you know, on a national and international platform. And I saw like basically all the Western media outlets were presenting Khalistan in a very different way than how I see it. They were presenting it as a very violent extremist uh, movement. And um, I thought that was shocking to me because that's not the relationship I have with it. So I thought that it's important to kind of use our voice, use our freedom of expression to kind of present that different perspective. And I was grateful that Toronto Star had that opportunity and gave that space to to present that different perspective on it. So what is your viewpoint then of Khalistan when you do say that a media was portraying it as a violent movement and you do talk about as well your relationship with Khalistan which I do feel like uh, is a really interesting way of thinking of it because I know for myself again growing up from uh, a Sikh uh, Canadian Punjabi background I've never really thought about using that term like what is my relationship with Khalistan now, so I do want to know, can you explain a little bit more about your own relationship with Khalistan? So I think I think that's a very, it's a very complicated question, actually. And so I think I wanted to start firstly with what is Khalistan, because that's a very loaded word. And I want to be very clear from the outstart that what I present here is my perspective on it. And I try to take a very historical perspective. So I like to study the history of 1984 and what happened and try to look at it as objectively as possible. But I want to say that there are very different perspectives people, uh, especially Sikhs, may have with Khalistan. Some see it as a theocratic Sikh state. Some see it as an independent Punjab. Some even go so far as to say, you know what, it's, it's something, it's like a state of mind, right? So living in Canada in a free society, that's Khalistan to me. So I think everyone has a different perspective. My personal perspective on it, my relationship with it, is that it would uh, represent kind of a society very close to what we see in Canada, a socialist Um, secular, liberal framework where people can practice their religion freely. So Khalistan to me, very, very roughly is is that type of idealistic um, perspective, if you will. Um, There never was during the movement a clear consensus on what Khalistan would look like. There was never any clear framework or constitution. Some groups published different, um, like, treatises and like papers on it, but it was never something that was unanimously agreed upon. So during the movement, it was more about, we need to get it and we'll decide afterward what it looks like. So that's kind of Khalistan um, in a in a snapshot um, and my specific take on it. You see protests then going on throughout the world, whether it is in Canada, the UK or the States. I think a lot of times with the conversations that I've had at least uh, is sort of what are people really protesting? Are they talking about wanting a natural separate state called Khalistan? Or is it more of that sort of ideal that you were talking about to aspire towards? Now, what are they exactly protesting? I think that's a great question. It, it really stems from 1984 and the grievances that came from there. So we already know about 
kind of Operation Blue Star, which was the attack on the Golden Temple complex. We know about the November genocide that occurred where six were openly killed on the streets for three days by the Indian population in mob massacres. And so there's a huge sense of grievance that comes from that time period. And so when Sikhs are protesting or Khalistanis are protesting, it is kind of to show retaliation for what happened during that time period. That's very, um, uh, it's very strong in people's memories of what happened. And that's a type of um, grievance that hasn't been fully addressed by the system. And so Khalistan is an extension of that type of protest and retaliation. Um, and so when they are protesting, it depends kind of on who you ask. So if you're talking about people in the leadership capacity, people like Six for Justice or these types of groups, I think to them it, it, it does represent a very real movement and something to aspire towards as getting a sovereign independent state. And the methods that Khalistanis are choosing now is to use democratic means and freedom of expression. That wasn't the case back in the 80s and 90s where people did have to resort to armed struggle or that's what they thought at the time was needed. But nowadays it's using that freedom of expression. If we're talking about the common people that kind of are protesting, um, I would say again, it goes back to everyone having their own perspective and relationship with Khalistan. Some people are doing it to try to address those wrongs that were done and to raise their voice for that. And others are, are seeing it as the same way that the leadership is, which is that, no, we actually do want to get our own country from that. We There's the historical precedent of the Sikh empire and have having had a sovereign Sikh state before the British came. And that is something that they want to aspire back towards. And so that, uh, I would say, are some of the perspectives that people have when they're protesting. I've had these conversations a lot. If we're going to talk about a separate Sikh state, what does that actually look like? Do we want to go back to the Sikh empire and Maharaja Ranjit Singh's Raj? You know, do we want that Punjab, that full land of the Sikh empire? Because again, a lot of that land is in present day Pakistan. I think that's a very, very good question. And I think, again, it will depend on who you ask. Like I said before, during the movement, there never was a clear consensus. There were a bunch of different theoretical maps that were drawn out. Um, the, the argument that's made is essentially, you know what, when the United States was fighting for independence from the British, they didn't have a map of what the United States was going to look like. They just knew we needed freedom from the British. And that's kind of the same consensus that six, uh, that Khalistanis are fighting with now, which is that we will figure out the map afterward. At this point right now, it's trying to get what you can, or that was anyway in the 80s and 90s. So yes, you make a good point that the capital of the Sikh empire was Lahore, which is currently in modern day Pakistan. Many of the historical Sikh shrines are actually in Pakistan. And the bulk of the Sikh empire was in modern day Pakistan. That kind of goes back to our history in 1947 when Punjab was divided into two. Um, and that's kind of another one of the grievances that Khalistanis are trying to redress. Whether that's practical, whether that's possible, that's for, his, that's for the future to kind of decide. But that doesn't mean that people are going to stop fighting for it. I wanted to ask you as well about the push that we've seen from Western Sikh youth in being involved in activism or uh, if you want to call it the Khalistan movement. Uh, again, for myself, born and raised in Surrey, I'm 30 years old. My family and I have never really talked about it, my parents or my grandparents. And it wasn't ever anything we ever saw in, you know, everyday Western media uh, growing up. I noticed maybe around 2012, 2013-ish, you did kind of start to see it pop up around social media, uh, especially on YouTube and Instagram. 
Uh, a lot of the times as well, coming out of Ontario, you had the whole Wind Lions Roar events pop up as well throughout Southern Ontario. Uh, different Punjabi Sikh YouTubers and musicians, they were actively discussing uh, Khalistan and sort of Sikh rights in general as well. Uh, within that last five years, we've also seen a real you know push from our own youth, uh, meaning those people in their young 20s and teenagers being involved in sort of that activism. Now, what in your mind has pulled youth today in North America uh, towards advocating for those sick causes? I think there's multiple answers to that question and multiple reasons. Firstly, I would say that it starts with our older generation uh, and them being willing to talk about what happened. So many six, their parents or their forefathers were affected by what happened in 84, but they didn't want to talk about it. Kind of similar to how our great grandparents and grandparents didn't want to talk about the partition. So I think um, as the new youth kind of growing up in the diaspora, there's a natural curiosity in terms of the land of our forefathers and the history there and trying to connect to that culture and that identity. And through that, people are going to study about their history. And in doing so, we start discovering kind of these things, these grievances of Operation Blue Star and Khalistan Movement. What is this thing? And so there was this natural curiosity. It's interesting you mentioned 2012, 2013, because that's kind of when the Bhavan Singh Dajwana international protests were happening. And I think that was probably, I vividly remember, because I grew up in Syria as well, that there being a huge shift of suddenly, you know, before that time period, I vividly remember when it, actually Guru Nanak Sikh Gurdwara there was a different Gurdwara committee that would actually host Indian Independence Day parades in the parking lot during 2005, 2006. And now you look at the change of what's happened with the history. And so Khalistan was treated as a bad word before that 2012, 2013. And something just awoke in people, I think, when they heard about this political prisoner, Bhavan Singh Lajwana, who had, uh, was part of the uh, plan to assassinate the chief minister, Bhavan Singh in Punjab. And people just kind of, something I think as you can call it a sixth spirit or whatever it awoken people to kind of at least try to learn more about what happened in that history. And uh, and they were very inspired by the stance that he was taking, which was he refused to recognize the Indian system, refused to recognize the Indian justice court. He was such an adamant Khalistani and people were kind of inspired by that and the sacrifice that he had done by being there and, and um, accepting what he had done and what were the reasons he had done it. And so um, there's been a shift since then. So I think, you know, and kind of with with youth culture, there's we're in that phase of rebellion. You're in that phase of wanting to learn more, going against the system, against the institution. I don't want to minimize it. I don't want to categorize it as that, because I think there are very obvious legitimate reasons why Khalistan is needed. But I think that there is this natural curiosity. The other reason is social media cannot be downplayed. Kind of there's this, been this huge, you know, transmission with information. We, we have way more access than we did uh, before things like Instagram and Facebook came about. There were always just kind of like rogue Khalistan pages back in like 2005, 2006, like never forget June 84 and things like that, where you can maybe get snippets of information, but you have to search it up. Now it's kind of available at your fingertips. You can learn more about Palestine and learn more about the the Sikh movement and and political grievances. So um, I think you know every youth is trying to connect to it to a certain way. I'm not going to say they're all pro Khalistan per se, but they want to learn more about it and they want to kind of gain that. And I think technology also has a has a has a big role in that. You did mention there as well the term Khalistan and being a Khalistani has carried a negative connotation to it. It's always been associated with something. Uh, being an extremist or a terrorist. Uh, it's uh, something that I've always thought as well that Canadian media and growing up in Canada, you know, people in Canada don't necessarily understand what Khalistan is. 
matter what it actually means. And I think a lot of that negative connotation as well does come from the unknown and may also come from the Indian state as well. Uh, how would you describe Khalistan and being a Khalistani to the average person who isn't really aware of the history between uh, Sikhs and the Indian state? I would say Khalistan at its fundamental core is a struggle for sovereignty and independence from a Sikh perspective. That in Punjab, there was oppression going on at the time. There were systemic inequalities. There were injustices. And uh, Khalistan, at its bare essence, is kind of exercising that right to self-determination and to pursue your own destiny. Um, you're right to that Khalistan has been incredibly vilified, obviously, by the Indian media and the Indian government. Um, and a lot of people, unfortunately, in the West as well, have accepted that rhetoric um, and equate kind of Khalistani separatist as to extremist and terrorist. And that's kind of, I mean, in a way, the Indian government it reveals its own sense of dehumanization, if you will, because there was adamant dehumanization that occurred. Um, during that time period, and even now in the press that you see with all the reports. And so, um, you know, at its bare essence, Khalistan is um, uh, a form of retaliation against what happened with the, with the history of Operation Blue Star in November 1984 and the disappearances that occurred from 84 to 1995. And so um, it's exercising that right to self-determination. Just to quickly put it in a Canadian perspective, you know, if someone in Quebec wanted to say, look, I want to separate. I'm not happy with Canada. There's no Canadian that's going to go and say, oh, you guys are terrorists. You're separatists. You're extremists. We kind of just shrug and say, okay, like, that's fine. Let's hold a referendum. And if a majority want to leave, they can leave. And it's, it seems like a pretty straightforward thing, but that's because we're a Western liberal democracy. In India, that's a completely foreign concept. That's not even in the equation. It's kind of, if you're a separatist, you are automatically... Um, um, uh, labeled as a terrorist. So I think if there's only one one potential good thing that may have come out of the recent kind of expose that's occurred of Indian government potentially being involved, it's that the international world is finally seeing India for what it really is, which is uh, a very um, kind of autocratic um, state. That's a big thing as well, because I've seen it all over Twitter, where you do see different Indian bot accounts or nationalist accounts or just different you know, people on Twitter from India. They do bring up Quebec a lot, and they do say, hey, would Canada just let Quebec leave? And you go through the replies of that tweet, and people reply to be like, hey, they've actually had referendums, and they decided not to leave Canada. Uh, I think that's a really good point you do bring up in terms of advocating for the rights of Punjab and Punjabis. How would you sort of characterize that relationship between the Indian state and Punjab since, say, 1947's partition? Because, again, we do have to recognize that when the British drew up the borders of India, a large portion of the state of Punjab did end up in modern-day Pakistan. And even then, further so, India further split up Punjab on the Indian side, and they did create two new states out of it. The capital of Punjab, Chandigarh, isn't even technically within the borders of Punjab. It's known as the Union Territory uh, of Chandigarh, and actually serves as, as the capital of, uh, and it actually serves as the capital of two separate states as well. So, how would you describe the way the Indian government has sort of treated the state of Punjab, where the majority of Sikhs live since 1947? I think that's a really good question, and I'm going to try to explain this as concisely as I can from my perspective based on the history. So to answer that question, you have to kind of start with what is India to begin with. It was an artificial conglomeration of hundreds of different states that the British had united. Okay, in 1947, 
Uh, now, the thing is, if you look at even the founding fathers, um, Nehru and Mahatma Gandhi, they invoked a lot of Hindu nationalist rhetoric in their speeches during independence. So um, this idea that Modi and the BJP are somehow this new wave that have suddenly come up and are trying to make India a more Hindu fundamentalist type of state is not true. That's always been like that since the inception of India. It's only just being exposed more clearly now. So where does Punjab fit into this? What Indian government currently is doing right now is they are exposing the hypocrisy of Punjabis. Punjabis, everyone, every Sikh is on a spectrum. Every Punjabi is on a spectrum of whether they support Khalistan or they're pro-India. And then a lot of people, I would argue, this is anecdotal, they're in the middle. They say, we believe in Punjab. We support Punjabi rights. If they come for our water, we're going to defend it. If they come for our farms, we're going to defend it. But we're not going to go so far as to say we support Khalistan. Now, I would argue and say that you, you that existing in that middle ground is very dangerous and it's not something that India is happy with because India says if you are part of India, you believe in Bharat Mata, which is Mother India, and you believe you must be loyal to Mother India. You cannot be loyal to Punjab. But if you ask most Punjabis on the street today or in Punjab, who are they going to be loyal to India or Punjab? They're going to choose Punjab. So it's that hypocrisy that India is exposing. So I would argue that, you know, in my opinion, it's very clear that the logical conclusion is Khalistan. There is no other option. The question is, when will people kind of open their eyes to realize that that's going to be the case? Because if you look at Punjab right now, it, it's an extension of the Indian system. There's a lot of rampant corruption that goes on there. You and I already know that. There's rampant drug use that goes on there. We all know that what's going on there. We knew we know about the violent suppression that occurred in the 80s and 90s with the disappearances and extrajudicial murders. And so we know that there are problems that exist. So if we want to, but most people I would argue right now exist in that middle where they want to advocate for Punjab, they want to advocate for rights, they want to advocate for freedoms, but they don't want to go so far, they don't want to take it to its natural conclusion. They don't have the conviction to do so. So um, for me, it's a matter of kind of not if, but when people will realize that there is no future with the Indian state because India will always prioritize India over Punjab, which is something that as Punjabis, we cannot stand by. When you do say that Khalistan is the natural conclusion, do you mean the separate state itself? Yeah, I believe that India, like I said before, going back to its inception, it's an artificial conglomeration of multiple states. So if you look at, if you study the movements currently going on in India, there's quite a few that are advocating for separation. You have Kashmir, you have the Maoists in Nagaland, and you also have very subtly the Tamils in the south who are quietly trying to get their own state. They have their own flag, they have their own culture, their own language, and they are a very powerful group, but they are doing it very subtly. So India is essentially founded on a lie because it's they try to force people to believe in one culture and one religion in one language. This is in the constitution itself where Sikhs, Jains and Buddhists are seen as a subsection of Hindus. And so they are trying to create this uh, very artificial lie. And that's why they're so um, like emotional and passionate, if you will, and vindictive when it comes to the issue of separation, because they see Take, they look, if you look at the terminology, it's uh, Khalistanis want to carve out Punjab out of India. And it's like, well, it's, you can't carve it out. The Sikh empire existed before the British came. It was Punjab that was artificially attached to India. It's the, so it's about the terminology. It's about the way you look at things. And you need only look at the history to see kind of what the reality of the situation is. So they see it as dismemberment. If you take out Punjab, it's like taking out an arm of Mother India. And that's why they are so vitriolic when it comes to the issue of separatism when it comes to dehumanizing the other 
And um, that is what we, you know, as, as Khalistanis are fighting against. So uh, to answer your question, I believe it was like, do we actually, it, is it going to actually be a separate state? Yes, I think India will break up. My personal prediction is by 2047, so 100 years of India, I think it will. Um, and if you look at currently the way it's going with the BJP uh, and with Modi, people are more and more are kind of trying to go against it now because they're like, oh, we don't want this autocraticness. We don't want it to be a Hindu nationalist India. But he's only exposing what it always had been this whole time. And so I think there are going to be a lot of people that are disenfranchised with that, that don't want that. And so it's naturally going towards a breakup, similar to kind of how the Soviet Union was in the in the 90s. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely a interesting comparison that I don't think even I've ever thought of. Um, so for when you say the breakup of India, you would say that there'd be many different separate states, like all those sort of empires that used to exist might be sort of existing once again. Maybe not based on the empires, but it would be likely based on people's culture, language, and religious subsets. So Punjab is quite dominant with six. South India, as I said, the Tamils, they have their own culture, language, they have their own flag. And so it'd be based on that. So there might still be an entity of India that exists, but there will be a lot of states that break up and leave it. I wanted to ask you as well about foreign interference. I think a lot of Canadian Six did have a feeling of who was behind the assassination of Hardeep Singh Nijjar. You did see it a lot in Canadian media, you know, where people were kind of pointing the fingers. Um, when Justin Trudeau did come out saying that, hey, we have credible evidence that India was involved in this murder, did you think this as well? Uh, yeah, absolutely. When we heard about the unfortunate assassination, certainly that came to mind. Um, we kind of know the dirty tactics the Indian government uses, and we've been familiar with it since the beginning. Um, and this is, by the way, very well documented. If you read Open Secrets by M.K. Thad, who was an Indian agent, um, he wrote a whole memoir on his infiltration, specifically in Canada during the 1980s, how he went to different Gurdwaras across Canada and different provinces to uh, infiltrate Khalistan uh, groups and to talk to them and try to figure out ways to sabotage them. So this, is, this has been a very open policy that's existed since the 80s. And it's a book that anyone can find and they can read. And um, it, um, and so, yeah, unfortunately, when we heard of that, for me, it was right away, yes, the Indian government. But for the first time now, I would say as six, because we didn't have the means or resources, we actually have evidence. We have our very own government, our very own prime minister, as well as, and it was very validating to see that both as a Canadian and as a Sikh, that our government standing, not necessarily with us, but with our rights, our freedom of expression. And I think that's the stark difference between a Western liberal democracy like Canada and a third world state like India that doesn't respect those types of things. And do you think that this now changes how Khalistan is viewed in Canada? So, you know, I want to be clear that I don't think the Canadian government, it does not stand behind Khalistanis, right? They don't stand behind the movement, but what they stand behind is our freedom and our right to uh, freedom of expression, our freedom of speech. And so I certainly think with this new information, however, like I said before, Khalistan movement was being vilified in the West. And I think a lot of people were buying that narrative you have the heinous <clears throat> Air India bombing that's been attributed to Khalistanis unjustly, in my opinion, but regardless, it's been attributed to them and severely maligned the movement. And so <clears throat> uh, when we uh, so now I think there is some vindication, you know, when 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 people are seeing, oh, India actually does play dirty. This isn't Khalistanis saying it. This is our very own government that is saying India had a hand and uh, likely had a hand in this and we have evidence to show it. 
the, I certainly think for the mainstream Canadian that helps start to depict a different perspective on the cost on movement and helps build some of that sympathy that we lost back in 1985. I wanted to give you the floor here as well. Is there anything you wanted to say to your fellow Canadians or sick youth in the West about the Khalistan movement moving forward? So I would say, you know, as kind of a general, as kind of a general message, it would be to both six Khalistanis and to mainstream Canadians to kind of understand that history is very nuanced and that there's a lot of information out there. And I think it's important to just constantly research and read and, uh, and entertain different perspectives. I'm not saying just read Khalistani books or people that are sympathetic to the cause, read the opposite and try to form your own opinion. We all have critical thinking skills. We all have the ability to research. So when I look at the Khalistan movement and the perspective that I tried to provide, it's from a historical perspective. I try to be as objective as possible. Obviously I'm gonna have my own biases and prejudices, but um, specifically I would say to six, um, specifically to those six who, uh, potentially still believe in India and in the Indian nationalism, I would say that, you know, uh, <laughs> that the, the thing is Indian, the Indian government is not going to, does not trust six, right? When they say that we believe in India. And this is evidenced by, if you look at Shubh, he was accused of being a Khalistani and a separatist. And he made a very, in my opinion, a very weak statement saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm Punjabi and I'm, I'm Indian. And I, but India knows that, like, why would India trust you? Why would India trust six? Knowing the history of what happened, knowing that they attacked the Kaltak, knowing that they killed six openly in November, knowing that they did extrajudicial murders. Why would India trust six? So they don't believe it. You look at Satvan Singh and Bhant Singh, they were in their Gandhi's own bodyguards that assassinated her. And you look at Bhavan Singh Rajwana, we mentioned before, he was in the Punjab police, he assassinated the chief minister. So India knows that deep down, six will choose Punjab and six will choose Sikh faith, if you will, above India. And it's that hypocrisy that they're exposing. So like I was saying before, you need, you need to have the conviction to carry through with the logical conclusion. The logical conclusion is Khalistan. Um, but everyone, I respect everyone's on their own journey and that's fine. So all I'm advocating for is to read more on the history and try to think of the future and what it's going to look like. All right. That is Dr. Anok Singh Telong, who is currently completing his final year of residency in family practice at UBC. He graduated with a bachelor's degree in interdisciplinary studies, focusing on Asian history and wrote an op-ed that was published in the Toronto Star in 2018, explaining the relevance of Khalistan to sick Canadians, and I thank him for his time here uh, today on CKNW for giving that 2023 perspective on the relevance of Khalistan to sick Canadians and everyday Canadians here in the Lower Mainland.